Reading the Bible can encourage a person in their relationship with the Lord as much as any other spiritual discipline. The Christian Standard Bible is an English translation that strives to be faithful to the original languages without sacrificing clarity. The CSB maintains accuracy while remaining easy to read. It is a translation that pastors can feel confident preaching from and the person in the pew can feel comfortable reading from in their own devotional time. The Word of God is living and effective, transforming the hearts of people, and our hope is that CSB is useful in more people being encouraged to read the Bible and share it with others. Learn more at csbible.com. This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. Do you want a more intimate walk with God? Are you tired of trying to hear God and hearing only silence? Each week, your host, Felice Skirwitz, is prepared to inspire you and equip you on your journey towards deepening your relationship with God. Listen, hear, and follow the Lord's will in your life, and you will be blessed. Hi, folks. The typical Christian approach to studying Earth history is to begin usually at fourth grade or seventh grade with a secular textbook titled Earth Science. And from that, we get a little bit of science and a whole lot of secular philosophy about how the Earth came to be and how its various civilizations developed. Or we may even begin with a Christian textbook even honoring the Bible by adding the creation at some vague time in the past. Typical Christian education then continues on with mostly what has gone before in secular earth science, with rock types, the rock cycle, and so on, and we don't think much more about it. In addition, most Christian sources depend on secular archaeology to give them the dates for the pyramids and anthropology. My experience has taught me that it is extremely rare for a Christian to not only know the Genesis chronologies, but also to believe them. They remain a vague and distant story to most people. I'd like to offer a little bit different approach today. But before we begin, I wanted to draw your attention to my website, northwestrockandfossil.com, where you'll find an abundance of materials to help equip yourself and your children in biblical geology and earth history. Let's continue with our topic today, the four great global events of Genesis. We're going to tackle this in parts. I'll cover part one, the creation, today. Throughout my research, I have read hundreds of secular books on earth history and the development of life on earth. The title of one of those books is A History of Life in 100 Fossils. It's a fascinating book, really, but it highlights a basic theme of secular earth history, life history 
and civilization on this planet slowly developed from cyanobacteria over hundreds of millions of years through the beginning of modern man about 90,000 years ago to our world today. Most Christians dismiss this idea, but don't seem to be able to expound their own revealed history or counter the blatantly false history of the secularists. As you diligently study your scriptures, in time you'll begin to notice a whole lot of subtleties that contain great insights into history. One of these for me was the discovery of the word knowledge used throughout the Bible. The Hebrews understood these subtleties too. They distinguished between wisdom and knowledge. Now both are knowledge, but wisdom is knowledge learned through practice or obedience to Scripture. The knowledge of the what's of knowledge, or the facts, are learned through the comprehension of the words of Scripture. In the New Testament, the Greeks understood these differences also and used different Greek words to communicate what they meant when they addressed the subject of knowledge. The word that I found to be quite interesting was the Greek word gnosis, or knowledge. Most of us are familiar with a famous but devastating heresy called Gnosticism that sprang up in the first century. It was a secret knowledge of the unseen that could only be gained through the enlightenment of certain elite teachers and their teachings. Paul uses this same idea in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, or gnosis, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Interestingly, the King James Version of the Bible translates it this way, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called. Now, the word science is not a good translation because it is a Greek word that is used here in the New Testament, the word gnosis. The word science came later and is the transliteration of the Latin word scantia, meaning knowledge. I'm not sure exactly why the early framers of modern science chose the Latin word to represent modern science, but I do wonder if it was to separate it from what was commonly understood as gnosis or knowledge, which most at that time understood to mean the scriptures, as in the knowledge of God. Paul is teaching us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20 that there is a true knowledge and there's a false knowledge. The true knowledge has been revealed in the scripture and it includes God's mind on morality, his person, his work, and yes, his creation or earth history. The false knowledge embedded in modern science 
in the form of the so-called historical sciences, such as geology and paleontology, moves people away from the true knowledge and substitutes another type of knowledge, knowledge gained by man solely apart from revealed knowledge or gnosis. Now, we have looked at important definitions in earlier podcasts. One of those was defining the word science. The Bible never contradicts genuine science, knowledge gained by observation, testing, and repetition of those tests. But science today has become something more than this. It has become dogma, especially in the field of geology. Today, science has added to this collection of facts by jettisoning the scriptures in favor of so-called enlightened men and women discovering knowledge strictly through predetermined proofs like fossils. Whether the translators for the King James Version were aware of the significance of their translation or not is not known, but their translation brings up a good point. Science does mean knowledge, but modern science, or what is called the historical sciences, including geology and paleontology, is knowledge derived from a combination of human perception or observation and human interpretation of qualified people. The qualified are those who are trained in the modern system of this science, including the philosophy. Secular geology claims to be science gained by learned men and women through investigation and discovery. Much of modern geology is, however, not science, but interpretation. And because of this, it drives people away from the true knowledge or gnosis of God, the scriptures. It has become a type of Gnosticism. So this is really our introduction to our topic today, the four great global events of Genesis. Why should this even be important? I mean, who really cares? Even just a cursory reading of the first 11 chapters of Genesis reveals that there is a history recorded there that is meant to be taken and adhered to. It can be shown that the foundation for most of our modern problems are exposed through four great global historical events. Understanding these can help people to understand why we have many problems in our modern society. Let's take a closer look at these. We'll talk about the first one in today's podcast. The first great global event of Genesis was the creation. There is no sense in attempting to harmonize the Genesis account with what today's scientists claim that they have proven. It just simply won't work. When King Hezekiah in Jerusalem were surrounded by the Assyrian army, he prayed this interesting prayer. O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. 
you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Isaiah chapter 37 and verse 16. This statement is exclusive. It would not survive the PC scrutiny of our modern culture. To say that there is one God and he is the only God makes people furious. But notice the reason that Hezekiah proclaims him to be the only God alone. He made the heaven and the earth. When secularists insist that our heaven and earth originated from purely naturalistic processes, they take away the authority of God. Why should I obey the God of the Bible if he did not create me? He's just another of the many gods that man has invented. Who is he that I should owe my allegiance to him? Hezekiah proclaimed, He is the one and only God and the true God because he made us. That fact alone makes him the supreme being and the God of everyone and everything. The Hebrews had a phrase for this, the Lord of hosts. The natural consequence of dethroning God is to start a chain reaction, a very destructive chain reaction. If we are not accountable to anyone but ourselves, then sooner or later, not my parents, nor police officers, nor any other authority can tell me what to do. I am my own boss. And of course, that leads to anarchy with everyone doing exactly what he or she thinks is right. The God of Hezekiah is the true God because he is the creator. And that establishes authority and moral right and wrong in society. And because God is the creator, he is the source of all meaningful and right life. When Adam and Eve chose to rebel and disobey God, they separated themselves from this source of life. Man began to die spiritually and ultimately to die physically. Ever since that fateful time when Adam and Eve rebelled against their creator, things in the creation have not been right. Every meaningful relationship has been affected and today, just about every marriage and family experiences heartache and damage along life's way. These so-called quirks are not the mistakes in an evolutionary progression, but they are the consequences of rejecting our Creator and His rightful place as the Lord of Hosts. Another consequence of rejecting the God of the Bible as the Creator is the disappearance of the conscience. A few years ago, I had the privilege of giving a personal tour of Yellowstone Park to a German couple. The wife was a believer, but the husband was an atheist. And after a while of seeing in the amazing geology of Yellowstone from a biblical perspective, he asked me a curious question. I didn't expect it. He asked why Christians in America were so preoccupied with making sure 
our government had a Christian influence. I thought for a minute, and then it dawned on me. Most Christians have a very sensitive conscience, and they understand what accountability is. Christians are concerned that if Christianity is kept out of American societal and political life, that the conscience of accountability will disappear. Christians of all people know that when a society ceases to be accountable to a moral God, it is bad for that society. Culture will quickly erode and its people will decline. Christians have mostly been a constructive and good force in the world throughout its history for this very reason. Our sense of accountability and conscience come directly as a result of our Creator, a moral God who originally created man and woman with a deep sense of morality, conscience, and accountability. That is part of what is meant by He created them male and female in the image of God. That immediately started to erode after the next great global event in Genesis we call the Fall. We'll look at that in our next podcast. The first great global event of Genesis was the creation. And it is this event which originally established a right order in our world. When we reject our Creator, we upset that order and bring ruin into our lives, our society, and our relationships. Well, that will conclude our topic for today. Please visit my website at northwestrockandfossil.com for a look at tools that will help you defend your faith in Genesis and its presentation of Earth history. This has been your host, Patrick Nury. So long for now. Thanks for listening to the podcast, A Few Minutes with God. Please visit Fleece on our website, a few minutes with God.com and your podcast page on a few minutes with God podcast.com. There you will find the show notes for today's episode. This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network.